0: Hi, Ed. Hi. Am I on? Oh, yeah. I'm all and clear. I'm Henning Ed, can you look in a crystal ball? <laughs> Try. What's going to get that cart called the U.S. government out of that deep, deep, deep rut it's been getting deeper into as time goes on the last few years? What's, what's, what's it going to take to make it functional again?
1: Oh, <clears throat> God, if I knew, <clears throat> I'd be down there talking to them. I don't know. I, I can't tell you. I don't know. Um, there's a lot of cynicism. I, I have, my brother lives <clears throat> in the States, and uh, he has uh, about. Uh, he lives in Tacoma, Washington. He has about five acres, and um, he is uh, planting <clears throat> trees all around his property. And uh, he uh, is has withdrawn from participation in the political process. Uh, he's very discouraged. Um, and uh, unfortunately, he's not the only one. There are thousands, millions of people who are discouraged. Um, they they don't have much optimism about the future. And um, I don't know. I, 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 the the political parties uh, aren't much. Don't seem to be much interested. In uh, developing a cohesive program that they can offer to the electorate that would excite the electorate, get them get them going about something, and so I I cannot answer your question. I don't know. my My crystal ball is so cloudy that I just I, I just don't know. I, I can't answer that question. Thanks for trying. <laughs>
2: Hi, Ed. Hi, Shannon Phillips. Um, I just want you to talk a little bit, if you can, give us your insights on what happened in Wisconsin uh, earlier in twenty eleven, earlier this year, and to a lesser degree in places like Illinois and and Michigan with the um, basically assault on collective bargaining rights. uh, Well, yeah. And what what you think that means for the future of American politics?
1: Well, I think that I think that it's uh, uh, concerted. Assault upon the labor movement in the United States, in in various parts of the country. Um, uh, times are hard, and uh, when times get hard, you start looking for a scapegoat. And um, uh, labor, uh, lo- many people in the United States and even here in Canada, uh, ass- sort of think. That uh, the minimum wage and the the social services programs we have, um, Canada Pension and all that sort of stuff, kind of evolved somehow, but people forget about the labor labor movement and people actually died in bringing those kinds of things into reality, and uh, so I think that that. Um, there is there, there is a concerted assault. I see it here. I see some of it beginning here, upon the, upon labor and the labor movement. Um, and um, I think that it's uh, that we have to be we have to be aware of this. But I don't think many people are aware, and I don't think they know uh, how uh, responsible much of the labor movement is for bringing about those kinds of social programs. I mean, they were enacted by government, but the pressure and the effort came from the the labor movement in in both the United States and Canada. I mean, um, all one has to do is listen to people like Pete Seeger or the Weavers, who were uh, folk singers, and uh, they they were uh, very active in the labor movement in the United States, and um, uh, still involved, actually. Um, so so, uh, but but I think that, that that's what it is. We have to we have to re- watch out for that. Be careful of it because I think that's where it's coming from.
2: My name is Francis Schultz. Ed, I'd just like to thank you for trying to concisely inform us on a whole whole semester's course in a half an hour, because you did do a very good job, and thank you. Uh, what I would like to ask is uh, the result of listening to the CBC this morning when they were talking about the long arm of the IRS reaching across borders and and uh, finding people or or at least getting money from people who have taken out Canadian citizenship and are no longer Americans what where do they get the power to go outside the boundaries of the US to to follow people through through, through generations, actually, in terms of collecting money? It's because
1: uh, they need it.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and um, in the past, they've sort of ignored this these things. But uh, now, because of the debts the United States has and the money that it needs, um, they've decided to go after a number of people. There are a lot of people who have significant sources of income and income in general, which is uh, sheltered somewhere. And um, they, they, the IRS has sort of ignored this in the past umpteen years. And now because of the uh, crisis, monetary crisis they're in, they've decided to go after these people. And, and I heard, I, I listened to it Tax consulted uh, down there, and he said that they're going. It's going to focus on people whose incomes or or accumulated income is uh, seventy thousand or more dollars. Now I don't know where he got that figure, but I heard this morning on uh, on um, Maria Tremonti's program. That um, two guys were on there, and they were complaining that they were coming after the IRS is coming after them. But neither indicated how much money they were talking about, and so I don't know. uh, But but they can do it because many of these people have dual citizenship, and while whereas they may be citizens of Canada, they're also citizens of the United States. And some of this is not worked out in the various tax agreements that have, been, have evolved over time between the two governments and so uh, there's kind of a vacuum there right now and as long as you still have U.S. citizenship you're still subject from their point of view you're still subject to the law and uh, I suppose um, one would hope that maybe the Canadian government would step in and do something but I don't really see that happening. I mean, I don't know what kind of pressure
0: it would take, but anyway. Hello. Thanks, Ed. Uh, My name is James Moore. And when I was looking at your charts on the uh, checks and balances and the structure of government and so on, I was wondering if you might give us a few words on uh, check and balance, which seems to have vaporized, and I'm speaking to the uh, fact that corporations became persons under the law, and the case came to the Supreme Court of the United States last year, where Citizens United uh, won the judgment, same judgment that Mr. Harper in Harper versus Canada lost, that in fact their constitutional right of freedom of expression is being... Uh, ignored, and therefore they can spend as much money as they like in an election. And how will this influence and, and uh, distort those checks and balances? If you could give us a few words on what that might mean.
1: Well, it's just, it's just the effects of money. Um, I mean, congressmen, uh, many co- most, peop- most congressmen don't have large budgets, uh, for running constituency offices uh, we here in Canada give our MPs uh, much more support in this area than the average congressman gets in the United States and so this makes them susceptible to outside influence and if you're if you're a member of the house and you're up for re-election you just get elected and in 2 years you're going to be you're going to have to get elected again well, you start campaigning the day you get sworn into office. And, uh, and, and this means that you need money. And uh, so uh, this makes them susceptible to the influence of, uh, outs, of special interest groups like the National Association of Manufacturers and, and some of the others. And uh, there's no way, uh, because there isn't a strong conflict of interest legislation in the United States, um, there's not much of a check on that kind of influence, um, and so um, if you have, I mean, the average campaign in the United States for a member of the House is well over uh, comes to well over two million dollars to run, and if you've got to raise that money every two years, um, and you d- you know we don't it fin- they don't finance uh, elections in the United States as we do here. Uh, we, have some, we have legislation where a certain amount of our tax money, we can uh, check it off and it goes through uh, the, the election process. And that's how they finance elections in Europe. Most of the European states finance the elections out of the general revenue. And, uh, and that's, I think that's how it should be done. And that frees up the electoral process from any kind of, of special interest influence from outsiders. Uh, and until we until something like that is done, then the system, because it is so porous, the system is subject to all kinds of influence, thank, uh, especially monetary influence, because these people need the money to get reelected.
0: Uh, my name is uh, Ken Kyle. One problem I think in the U.S., is, if I understand it correctly, is the... Uh, the president does not have a line item yeah. veto, and the, uh, presidents in, in both parties in recent years have tried to get that. My understanding is the last thing that happened is the Supreme Court uh, nixed the whole thing. Would, and if that's true, would it take a constitutional amendment to give the President of the United States a line item veto to get rid of all the, the pork and the bridges to nowhere and so forth?
1: Well, it could be a, it could be a constitutional amendment, or they could simply pass legislation in the, in the, the, the Congress to do it. Um, it doesn't have to be a constitutional amendment. Um, but um, uh, some presidents have been quite courageous. I remember that uh, Bill Clinton um, vetoed the budget, the entire budget for the United States, when he was in, when he was a president, because there were items in the in the uh, legislation that he didn't like, so he just vetoed the whole budget. And there was about uh, a, a week, I think, when the government they laid off government workers and they threatened not to mail out pension checks and social security checks and all that sort of thing. And it wasn't too long before uh, the Congress came around and uh, a new bill was sent to the president with these things out of it. And so he signed it. But uh, it, takes a, it, it takes a pretty courageous person, president, to do that. And, uh, I mean, you know, the military didn't get money and every, just, there was just no money to run the government. They started shutting it down. And people thought, oh, geez, I didn't think he'd do that. And uh, so they, they gradually came around. But it takes something like that for uh, some kind of action on the part of the uh, the, the, the uh, branch of government that's being the, obs- the obstacle in the, in the process.
0: My name is Tad Mitsui, and thank you, Ed. You didn't betray my expectation. Uh, my question is, is Mr. Harper more powerful than President Obama. I was astonished watching what's happening in Congress, how weak Mr. Obama was. How come? What is the systemic problem there?
1: Um, The systemic problem is built into the system in that uh, it's arranged in such a way that no one branch of the government is supposed to be powerful enough that it can uh, interfere with and, and operate one of the other branches of government. And uh, we confuse the power of the presidency in international politics with the power that he. we think this translates into domestic power, and it's an entirely different thing because under the Constitution, the president is pretty much exclusively uh, responsible for international relations, and um, except that the Senate has to approve treaties, but they've not rejected too many uh, over the history of the Republic. Uh, and so um, uh, it it, re, it it just you know it's just one of the, it's just because of the system itself, and uh, it takes extraordinary individuals. And at the moment, we don't seem to have those people in, involved.
0: Hello, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. Ed, there seems to be a race to the bottom as far as uh, corporate taxes goes, in, around, not only in the United States, but around the world and in Canada as well. Uh, do you see any way that you can balance the books with the big corporation not paying any taxes to speak of?
1: Well, I could say comes the revolution, but I don't know where the revolution is going to come from and uh, who's going to lead it. But, uh, no, it's... it's, um, it 's it's money it 's capitalism, part of it is the capitalist system, and uh, money is the is the controlling factor and uh, everybody i mean no matter how poor one is, everybody believes that in their lifetime they 're going to be rich they 're going to have the fortune that somebody else all now has, and so they don 't want to do anything to the system that may block their opportunity in the future. So they're not going to do anything about corporate taxes or individual taxes that might put them uh, in, this, in the limelight, uh, in gun sight, so to speak. And so uh, nothing gets done. Uh, they're not going to do anything because if they do, it to them, if they do it now, they're shooting themselves in the foot later on and they don't want to do that because every I don't everybody I know uh, thinks that they're you know sometime they're going to be rich, um, and uh, they're going to I mean they want the opportunity to be able to be a Rockefeller or whatever, and it doesn't make any difference uh, who they are uh, in many, in some instances, and uh, they'll do they don't want to do anything to block that possibility. And so things that should be done now aren't getting done because people see this as a block to their own self-interest. And, of course, I think that what's happening to the, to, in, in both countries is people are increasingly voting against their own best self-interest. And um, I don't know how one's going to change that but uh, that seems to be the way the way things are at the moment. and there's going to be an exam
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, my, my name is Mike Brown, and um, I, I just I should have done some homework before I came, and unfortunately i didn't. It, it seems to me that either the first or second amendment of the constitution says um, something to the effect that there should be freedom of religion. Um, We have some rather strange religions in the U.S. Um, Some of them, the um, man is entitled to marry several women, I believe, um, in the religious point of view. And um, uh, things like that, how do we overcome having it in writing that there will be freedom of religion, And then we don't let them do whatever they want to do.
1: Well, um, part of the part of the issue is also what may be uh, uh, deleterious to um, the public interest, to society. And so, for example, um, you can't uh, you can't have a religion that uh, allows you to uh, worship alligators or whatever. Um I mean uh you you can't you can't you can't be extreme. Um and and you can believe anything you want. But there's a restriction on putting that belief into practice. So the the, the amendment says Congress shall make no laws restricting the establishment of or whatever religion. And uh it uh because Eight of the original states in the Articles of Confederation had state religions. And um, uh, one state uh, accepted um, refugees from other states that were escaping from the state religion. This was Rhode Island. And for a period of time, Rhode Island was referred to as Rogue's Island. Because of all these strange people <laughs> that immigrated to Rhode Island from the other states, escaping these, these the establishment of these state religions, and so when and when the Constitution was established, uh, the state they, the government got out of or the, the state religion uh, was was not allowed, and so uh, religion became a private matter more than than it had been previously.
2: Bevmond Latherstone, thanks Ed. Um, I was checking through when you were when you were talking to make sure your your talk was accurate and matched my elementary and, and high school system uh, uh, government in uh, in the U.S. And yes, <laughs> you did a great job. Um, okay, so now we've got Obama. He has no he has relatively no power. Um, he gave the banks trillions of dollars. Now now the government's suing the banks. So, um, so where do we go from here? Do you think Obama will get back in, or is he done?
1: Uh, it all depends on who the Republicans run and uh, what happens in the next, uh, what, 14, 15 months. Um, there's not an election until next November, and uh, a lot can happen in that, uh, what is it? It would be 14-month period, 13-month period. Um, and uh, uh, I, I can't answer that. I think, I think he is uh, reelectable um, because I don't think there's, of the eight Republicans that are running for the nomination, uh, Romney's more or less a has-been. And the only, poss- the only person that, that has the possibility is the fellow from Texas, the governor of Texas. But after the experience um, with a former Texas governor, I'm not too sure how saleable this fellow will be. And uh, it's a long way from now until next November. And uh, anything can happen. Uh, I mean, uh, the, there's eight Republican nominees running um, I read that uh, the uh, since the uh, in the last two months or no uh, last year, the uh, budget for protecting the president is running about uh, something like uh, 100000 uh, hundred thousand a week uh, to protect the president. And um, uh, he, he, I'd forgotten how many thousands of threatening letters he gets a day. Uh, and it's not, a, it's not just Obama. I mean, previous presidents have received threatening letters, and, and some have been shot at, and some, as we know, some have been assassinated. Um, but uh, I think Obama is, uh, is reelectable. I think he is. Uh, but, but a lot can happen between now and then, and, and it, it depends on who the uh, Republicans run and um, what happens with the economy Bush or uh, obama 's making a speech tonight to the two houses of the joint session of Congress to outline an, e- an economic reform program. Um, I don't know what he can do because Republicans already are saying they won't go for anything that's going to spend more money or raise taxes. And uh, unless you do those two things, uh, any kind of a relief program is, is out the window. So I, I don't know. I don't know what he can say, what he can do. Um, we'll just have to wait and see what he says tonight.
2: Thank you. I'd like to remind you again that uh, this program will be seen on Shaw TV Sunday afternoon, I believe it's uh, 4.30. And uh, the speaker next week will be Rachel Notley. She's a member of the Legislative Assembly for Edmonton Strathcona. And it will be,
1: Why Do So Many People Vote Against Their Own Best Interest? Well, I'd like to thank... Our speaker, Dr. Waken, again, and uh, everyone in the, and everyone in the audience for attending
2: and listening.